Yehudi Geber with a, a special Lag Bohemer podcast. And in honor of Lag Bohemer, we'll talk a little bit about the Ramah, the great leader of the Jewish people, of Ashkenazi Jewry, of Jewish Poland during its golden age. He um, died on Lag Bohemer in, in uh, 1572, possibly 1573, or probably 1572. And... Um, and um, the same way uh, Jews from all over flocked to Reb Shimon Bar Yechai in Maron on Lag Bohemer, so the Jews of Poland used to actually go to Krakow, where the Ramah is buried, and literally thousands and tens of thousands, perhaps even more, it's hard to know exact numbers with these things from that time period, would would come to the Ramah to be by the the uh, Ramah, on um on Lag Bohemer, on his yard site. In fact, um in fact the trains would they would have extra trains. The the Polish uh, train companies would supplement the amount of trains coming at that time. And I once spoke to a survivor um from Krakow, a Baba Vachasid who grew up in Krakow, and he learned in uh, the Eitz Chaim Yeshiva network of the Kedusha Sin of Babav, the Heilige Babav Rebbe, Rebbe Sin Halberstam, um, who was killed by the Nazis in Lvov. He was one of the great leaders of Galicia Jewry in the interwar period, and he founded and ran a massive network of yeshivas that he called Eitz Chaim. There was purpose, supposedly over 70 branches of these yeshivas. There were also Part of them were Chadorim, Yeshiva Katanas, other other uh, levels of Yeshivas. And this Chassid learned in one of them when he was a child in one of the Eitz Chaim Cheders. And he would go with a pushka on to the entrance of the Ramashul, the courtyard in front of the Ramashul, which was right before the uh, old cemetery, the old Jewish cemetery in Krakow where the Ramah is buried. And he would stand there with a pushka collecting for Eitz Chaim. And he told me, that within a couple of hours he would fill 10 pushkas one after another, just from the amount of Jews coming in to the Ramah by Lag Bo'aymer. And he would, he would be good for, for a while, but for his uh, collection for his yeshiva. Uh, also, I just saw recently that the, the Nitei Gavriel, one of the very popular halacha and minhiks farm of today, he writes that there was a custom in Krakow that the rabbi of Krakow would, whoever it was for the hundreds of years that this custom took place, they would go into the shul, they would congregate in the shul, in the Ramaz shul on Lag Bohemer, and they would prepare during the year a list of questions that later Achreinim had asked on different psakim of the Ramah or different Torah of the Ramah. And they would give a shear, the rabbi would give a shear to answer all those questions to defend the honor of the Ramah. Because the way the Jews of Krakow saw it was that the Ramah was always the Rav of Krakow, not just that during the time he was alive, he remained the Rav of Krakow, he remained the Rav of the Jewish people, the Paisik of Ashkenazi Jewry. In fact, when Hasidus started to come to Krakow, the Ma'ar Veshemesh, the Reb Kleinimus Kalman Halevi Epstein, he opened the first Hasidish minion in Krakow. But when he davened in the Ramaz shul, he davened Nusach Ashkenaz, even though the Hasidim had changed to the Ariz Nusach, to what's known as Nusach Sfard, he said, but in the Ramaz shul, the Ramah is the Mara Asra, the Ramah is still the Rav, 
and we cannot change from his minhagim, and therefore he has a great Hasidish Rebbe, a Davin As I always repeat that to the groups when we go to the Ramah Shul in Krakow, and very often it's a Hasidish group, and and uh, one time we even had a prominent Hasidish Rebbe accompany us, and and he davened for the Amud, and he said, we're going to do like the Ma'ar V'Shemesh, we're going to daven Nusach Ashkenaz because the the minig is to go with the Mar the Asra the Ramos. He is still the Rav there. He's still the Rav of the Jewish people, uh, especially of Ashkenazi Jewry. He ended up in being born in Krakow because of the great uh, eastward migration of Ashkenazi Jews, of mainly German Jews, because of the persecutions and pogroms and blood libels that was taking place in Germany during the the um, 12th, 13th, and 14th centuries, there was a big migration east to the kingdom of Poland, which was in the beginning of its golden age for, 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 uh, for Jews. The Polish government and the kings welcomed the Jews to come to Poland, and uh, they flourished there. That's for another, uh, another talk about the golden age of Polish Jewry. And now we're going to focus on the Ramos. So the Ramos family came from Regensburg, his father um, was a wealthy banker. The Ramah stands for Ramosha Israelish. His father was Yisrael Isser. And uh, that's why he was known as Israelish. It was not his last name. His last name did not become popular till a few hundred years later. But very often people were nicknamed based on their father, especially someone like the Ramah's father, who, being a wealthy banker, was uh, a leader of the community. He helped uh, the Ramah get his job as a Dayan in the Bezdin, eventually the Av Bezdin, eventually the chief rabbi of the city. And he and he um, he supported his son. In fact, the Ramaz Shul, though, was built through the money of the Ramaz mother. And I never really understood how the finances worked in that family, and um, interestingly enough, and it's even on a plaque in the Ramaz Shul. We always point it out when we go with uh, groups to Krakow. Again, it's one of the most popular stops on the of the groups going. Krakow is almost always on the itinerary, so we very often... Um, are speaking about the Ramah being in his shul, and of course what his role was in Kal Yisrael, not just in Krakow, not just being the Rav of Krakow, but really his his influence extended way beyond that, the entire Poland um, and Ashkenazi Jewry, uh, to a certain extent, the entire Kal Yisrael um, till today. Just one another word on the Ramah's shul before we get back to the Ramah and his farm and his the way he paskined in his farm. But um, like we said about Hasidim coming to Krakow, eventually the religious community in Krakow is almost entirely Hasidic. And they start, uh, you know, opening their own shtiblach. They don't daven in the community shuls, who still daven Ashkenaz, who takes over a lot of the community shuls. Eventually it's more modern elements. And ironically, the Ramaz shul is taken over by progressive elements during the interwar period. And the Hasidim would not daven in the Ramaz shul because it was... It was too modern, the people who daven there. That's a, a tremendous irony, um, because when we go there today, we see the plaque on the front wall that this is the spot where the Ramo used to daven, and it's one of the holiest places in the world. It's the place where the Ramo, uh, the father and Paisik of Ashkenazi Jewry, davened, and, uh, and that's uh, what ended up with the shul in the last generations before the war. But the Ramo himself, he actually... Um, um, devoted a large portion of his life to writing his monumental works. 
his Darkei Moshe, which originally was the Darkei Moshe Ha'aruch, the long Darkei Moshe, and an entire Shulchan Aruch of his own. Uh, the Beis Yosef, or Beis of Karo, who at the age of four was exiled with his family from Spain during the Spanish expulsion, and then spent uh, a large portion of his life in Italy, in Turkey, and he spends 20 years of his life writing the Beis Yosef, and then the 12 years of his life editing it. So he spends 32 years of his long life writing his his main work, the Beis Yosef, which is a compilation of all the halacha, all the psak. Um, up until his very day, based on the tour and all the Rishayinim. and the introduction to Beisayisif, he gives a long list of over 30 Rishayinim that he used. He also includes the Zayhar on that list, interestingly enough. And the way he passed in the Shilohs in the Beisayisif, or Beisif Karo, um, was based on a majority rule. He analyzed all the different opinions, and the majority of usually all the opinions, and then he had a very, very basic way of seeing the majority. He saw... Um, three of the Rishayim as the Amudei HaHalacha, the pillars of Halacha, the Rambam, the Rif, and the Rush. And he says, whenever two out of three agree, I went with them. So he writes that, and eventually he takes a summary of the Beis Yosef, and he takes the final psak of all what he wrote in the Beis Yosef, and he puts together a new sefer called the Shulchan Aruch. And he publishes it in his own lifetime. Beis Yosef is one of the first authors to have published in his own lifetime. And um, far away, the Rama, you know, receives this safer, and he sees that his life's work is out the window here. So he makes the incredible decision uh, of burying his his life's work in a in a metaphorical sense, and uh, and making it and having it play second fiddle to the Beis Yosef. He condenses the Darkei Moshe and makes it a much smaller safer, and he just adds his psak. Uh, to the Shulchan Aruch as Hagohis, as, as additions, as footnotes, as it were. And that's the way we have one uniform Shulchan Aruch. But what really is fundamentally the difference? It's normally accepted to think that the Ramah um, just wanted to add in the Ashkenazi, Psakim, especially based on the Bali Taisis, and the Marami Rutenberg and the Rush, um, who had very often been very neglected by the Beisayisif because he tended to go more with Svardi Psak, but it's really, really much deeper than that. The Ramah lived at a crossroads in Jewish history. In the 200 years before the Ramah, the, the uh, later end of the Ashkenazi Rishonim was at a difficult time in the history of Ashkenaz because it was after a couple of hundred years of crusades which really shook up Jewish life in Germany and France. Pogroms, blood libels had become more prevalent after they had been started in the 12th century in Norwich, England of all places, the first blood libel ever. And there was all kinds of limitations in Jewish economic life and, uh, and their freedom of movement and uh, what they, you know, all kinds of things. It was very difficult living in uh, Christian Europe um, for the Jews of Germany and France. And the, all these upheavals had caused there to be breaks in the tradition. And uh, among many other great leaders of the time, but two of the most famous uh, leaders of the late Ashkenazi Rishayim, the Maharil and the Chumas Hadeshen, decided to record for posterity the customs, the minhagim of Ashkenaz. And, and minhag eventually came to take a major role in Ashkenazi Jewish life. What was the custom in the community? 
what became the custom, what was the original minhag, how was it originally done. And the Ramah is now at a new crossroads in history because the migration east meant, meant that there was new Jewish communities in Poland. And he lives at the beginning of the Golden Age. He's a student of Rabbi Shalom Shachna, who starts and founds the first yeshiva in Poland in Lublin. And he, who is a student of Rabbi Yaakov Polak, who was one of the first Gedoyle Torah, great Jewish leaders to have lived in Poland. So you're talking about it's a relatively new Jewish community, and he's looking at a new world, and he's the bridge. He's taking that transfer from the world of Germany and Ashkenaz, and he's bringing it to Poland. And the idea of what Minig should play as a role in Jewish life is something that the Ramah held very dear and very strongly of. He almost never argues on a Maril and Shumas Hadeshen, and he and he brings them literally hundreds, if not thousands of times throughout Shulchan Aruch. And the idea is, is that it was not just about Ashkenazi versus Sephardi, it was more of a fundamental difference in how to paskin. The Beis Yosef did it very analytically. Lined up the Rishonim, these are all the, the shitas, these are all the positions that they take, and we have majority rule, we analyze it, how do we see it from the sugya? How does it come down through the Rishayim? And that's how we're going to paskin. Whereas the Ramah gave a very, very strong role to, to, um, to uh, custom, to minig. And that's really where the dispute was. And that actually invited a lot of uh, criticism, um, a, lot of, a lot of criticism to the Ramah because he... Because he he lived in Poland, and a lot of the customs in Poland had changed from what the original Ashkenaz were, and he went with the new Minhagim in Poland, and he said, this is the Minig, the Medina Azais, this is the Minig in this country, in these areas, in this city, and he went with that, and many other people said, you neglected the old Ashkenazi Minhagim from Germany, and that drew criticism as well. Uh, so that was a couple of his most famous farm, he wrote others farm, and wide variety of topics. He even dabbled in philosophy and Kabbalah. He tried to make a synthesis of philosophy and Kabbalah. He wrote Elu Ve'elu Divrei Eloikim Chaim. He had a close Talmud, Reb David Ginz, the Tzemach David, um, uh, who he encouraged him to write a history book, which is a reason that we like him also. He wrote a, a, a book on, on Jewish history, on general history, which is an important source uh, of that time as well. So the Ramos legacy is, of course, until this very day, he's still the Maradasra in Krakow, he's still the great Paisik and leader of Ashkenazi Jewry, and um, Lagba Eimer is a time to commemorate his contribution to the Jewish people, um, and a place we remember where thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of Jews in Poland before the war used to visit Krakow and his kever. Tihuda Geber um, with another podcast. I can be reached for tours and other things at ygebss at gmail.com. And we're also on iTunes, um, Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes or Spotify. Don't miss an episode of our podcasts. Subscribe, give us a five star rating, share with your friends and family. And you can also follow us on Twitter at J Soundbites. We hope you enjoy.